Well, good morning. My name is Phil, and as Tri said, I'm just a Phil in <laughs> stepping in here. I uh, I'm not sure exactly how a substitute teacher feels, but kind of feels like that may be me this morning. And I know I've heard stories about how kids in the classroom test the substitute teacher, you know, to see what they can get away with. But as I look out here, y'all look pretty friendly, and I think at least some of you are my friends, so maybe you'll go easy on me or whatever. Uh, so thank you for coming. Even Bill showed up this morning. He, he heard I was going to speak, and he said, oh, well, I don't know where I'll go to church that Sunday then, but he showed up, so that's a, that's a good deal. Okay. Um, the book of Psalms in the Bible is a very special book. A few of you know that over the years it has become my favorite. And I started keeping track of reading a psalm a day uh, in 2011, actually 13, 12 years ago. And uh, I have a system of reading and meditating through uh, 150 psalms in about, and cover them in about five months. Why the Psalms? Because far and away, the Psalms describe God better than any other book. His character, his deeds, his work, his expectations. The Psalms are God's resume, if you will. Now, if you want to know how to get along with people, you read the Proverbs. If you want to get to know God better, you read the Psalms. Several years ago, I discovered Psalm 112 and thought that it was special for a very specific reason. And ever since, whenever one of the men in my family, like high school and above, has a birthday, um, I include that when, uh, in the birthday card that Sharon makes me sign. Um, the reason for that is that Psalm 112 describes the great life, the blessed life. And of course, I want that for all of the men in my family. Then some time ago, I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller, a well-known preacher, pastor from New York City, a sermon in which he noted a connection between Psalm 111 and 112. Huh, I thought, that's interesting. And as I studied the ideas in these two psalms, I concluded that that was worth a sermon someday. And so guess what? Here it goes. And for starters, I would like to suggest that you each take one of the, pew, uh, one of the Bibles from under the chair in front of you, because that's what we're going to use this morning. That's, that's what I'm using. Um, yes, I know it's an old-fashioned idea to look at pages in a book rather than uh, words on a screen, on a wall. But these two psalms are located conveniently side by side on pages 492 and 493 in the Bible that you just picked up. 
Of course, if you brought your own favorite Bible to church this morning and want to use that, great. I just know that that's not the case for all of you. The first thing that uh, I'd like you to notice are the themes of these, these two uh, psalms, and we'll detail these to somewhat some degree uh, during our time together. The themes of Psalm 111, uh, the theme of Psalm 111 describes a great God, and Psalm 112 describes a great life. And the connection between these two is this. If you want a great life of Psalm 112, you must seriously acknowledge the God of Psalm 111. To state uh, these two psalms as the main observation or the truths that I want us to grasp this morning uh, from these two psalms are three things. One, a, we have a sovereign, powerful, involved God. Two, we are invited to a supernaturally changed life. And three, we want to look at how these two connect, how these two proposals and truths intersect. So let's begin a comparison of these two psalms, mostly so that you know what to look for. If you look down at, your, at, the, at the Bible in front of you, these two psalms next to each other, the first detail to notice is they, that they each have how many verses? Ten, yeah, they each have ten verses. And second, if you've looked at the footnotes at the bottom of the page, they tell you that this psalm is an acrostic poem, the lines of which begin with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. That's down at the bottom of the page. Both of these psalms have that characteristic. A third detail to notice, I suppose, uh, each psalm begins the same. Praise the Lord as does Psalm 113, the next one, beginning and ending. And actually, there are a lot of psalms that begin this way, uh, that's, but that's incidental to the two psalms that we're going to look at this morning. And so, is there a significant difference between the two psalms? And do they complement each other in some way? Okay, let's, let's try this. Remember, Psalm 111 describes a great God, and Psalm 112 describes a great life for mankind. To compare, let's look first at Psalm 111, verse 3. This says, His righteousness endures forever. That refers to God, right? Look at Psalm 112, verse 3. It says, their righteousness endures forever. That's us, the there. Look at verse uh, 111, verse 4, which says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. You see that? Psalm 112, verse 4, refers to those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Psalm 111, verse 7, look at that, says, All his precepts are trustworthy. 
Psalm 112, verse 7 says, Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And there are more similarities and comparisons that seem to link these two psalms in interesting ways. But this morning, we'll leave it at those examples. Okay? It's time to actually read Psalm 111 and see what it says. Follow along as I read. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Now I'm guessing that as we read, uh, that you noticed that Psalm 111 is a rather traditional psalm of praise of a great and almighty God. I like the introductory comment in verse 1, a prelude to the rest of the psalm about our powerful, involved God. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. I would like to suggest that that is a description of what we do here each Sunday morning and evening. And an incredibly important part of the Christian's experience here on earth. Together we celebrate our relationship with Almighty God. I like to refer to these times together as, as, a, a, as a taste of heaven. When we arrive in heaven, I believe that we will extol the Lord with all our hearts. Together with all those who have gone on before us. I noted some of the songs, the phrases in some of the songs that the worship team led us in this morning. Open up the heavens. You're the reason we're here. Your love is devoted. A covenant of old. Faithful you will be. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth It's full of his glory. Amen? That's what it's going to be like, my friends, up in heaven. The rest of Psalm 111 describes several of God's attributes, all of which are praiseworthy. And if we took each of these verses one at a time, we would all miss lunch. And I fear mutiny would abound. 
So let me just summarize and, and sort of group the contents for us. First of all, the powerful involved God described in this psalm is a creator. The creator of all that is good and sort of blows our mind when we think of it. Verses 2, 3, and 4 declare this. We've already read those. Verse 2 uses one of my favorite words, ponder. Ponder is what Mary did after the shepherds visited the newborn Christ in the stable. Luke 2.19 says, But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Every morning when I wake up, I have a beautiful view of the majestic Bighorn Mountains to the south of Sheridan. And I know that some of you have the same, same view. And I am often overwhelmed as I ponder the magnificent expanse of God's creation. At Cambridge University in England, there is apparently a science building where scientists ponder the wonders of the universe. And Psalm 111, verse 2, is inscribed above the front entrance of the building. Can you imagine that? Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. The intent is to invite all of those who enter that building and they explore to explore in amazement the beauty and the complexities of our universe as created by the ultimate artist. When I think medically, I wonder at how intricately our bodies are created with unique fingerprints, DNA, and chromosomes, and channels for life-giving blood to flow and give us life. I gaze with appreciation at my new great-granddaughter, a miracle emerging from her mother's womb as a gaunsamensch, a German expression that my old grandfather used to use. In fact, he did so when he viewed for the first time our firstborn daughter. And Gauntza Mensch, describing the entire brand new person, it's, it's all there in wonder. We would do well to treasure up and ponder the works of our powerful, awesome creator. The powerful involved God of Psalm 111 is not only a creator, but a provider. Verses 5 through 8 tell us that he provides food for those who honor him and gives them a place to live. In Israel's case, God gave them the lands of other nations, says that in verse 6. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul was introducing his God to the men of Athens. And he tells them in verse 26 of Acts 17 that God determines the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. As provider, 
Our God also gives us guidance on how to live a victorious and righteous life. Verse 7 calls them trustworthy precepts as part of the forever covenant that he has established with his people. We, you and I, have a huge advantage of having God's trustworthy precepts all recorded in one single volume called the Bible. This has withstood the test of time and the scrutiny of innumerable skeptics, doubters, even atheists who have tried to disprove its authenticity, all to no avail. Praise God. Now, these precepts and his forever covenant with his people prove something else that is very significant. God is very personally involved with with us, with each of us, with his people, his children. God did not do as the deists believe, that is, to create the world and then retreat back into heaven to leave us to our own devices as, as we govern and try to manage our world. That would imply that God exists for us, for our benefit, that he created the world for us, and then say, have at it, and go away, back up into heaven. He did not do that. However, the biblical view of man's relationship with God is that we exist for him, to give him praise and honor and glory and worship to the fullest extent possible, to serve him to the best of our ability. Review again verse 1 of Psalm 111. I will extol the Lord with all my heart. He created us for that purpose, both here on earth and for all eternity. Psalm 111 describes our sovereign, powerful, and involved God not only as creator and as provider, but also as redeemer. Verse 9 says, He provided redemption for his people. That is, action that results in salvation. God did this throughout Israel's history as he rescued them time and again from holes that they dug for themselves. This is because of the loving forever covenant that he ordained as his commitment to a relationship with his people. Redemption language is also inherent in verse 4, which says, He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. The word wonders here involves saving action. Consider the parting of the Red Sea as the nation of Israel escaped captivity and slavery in Egypt. The destruction by drowning of the entire Egyptian army that was pursuing them. The pillars of fire and cloud that guided them through the desert. The manna manna and quail that fed them for 40 years of wandering in the desert. And it goes on and on, examples. 
And of course, the redemptive, saving action of our sovereign, powerful, involved God applies to us today in an even more comprehensible or understandable way. Because God, in the person of Jesus Christ, who was infinitely infinitely up there in heaven, became radically right here to live a sinless life and die on a cruel Roman cross to pay our penalty for our sins so that someday we could live infinitely up there with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and all of our loved ones who have gratefully received his free gift of redemption, God's saving action through his Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. Oh, what a day that will be. Okay, let's move on to Psalm 112. For a description of the great life, a life blessed by a relationship with a great God. Follow along as as I read. And I should, by the way, probably issue a disclaimer here. Earlier I said that I found Psalm 112 and I thought it fit all the men in our family Um, I have an ancient 1983 version of the New International Version. And in there, all of the pronouns are in the masculine. For instance, instance, uh, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. His children will be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches are in his house, so forth. Well, um, you've noticed that in your church Bibles here, the language is more inclusive, more gender neutral, and this is not a theological contradiction worth any of our time this morning, Um, so we'll move move on past it. Okay, it really is not, it's not an issue if you you, uh, dig into that at all. Okay, now, Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end... They will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away 
the longings of the wicked will come to nothing. I think a good summary of verses 10 of the 10 verses of Psalm 112 are the following. The man or the person blessed by God because of his obedience to his trustworthy precepts will be strong in relationships, strong in generosity, strong in justice, and strong in faith. There are other ways and terms to use in summarizing this psalm, but these make sense to me as I decipher Psalm 112. Verse 2 of Psalm 112 would indicate a strong family life where children are nurtured and nourished in the ways of the Lord. Parents, by their lives and lifestyle, set an example of allegiance and obedience to God's commands and precepts. These teachings and examples by those responsible for the future of our children are the focus, the central focus for living a righteous life blessed by God. Constant attention to these principles are not a guarantee that all children will always make the best choices. But the probability of children who will be mighty in the land and a generation of the upright who will be blessed by God, verse 2, that likelihood is greatly increased. A characteristic of the blessed life is that it is strong in relationships. A second characteristic of the great life, one that is blessed by a great God, is that it is strong in generosity. Verse 5 declares, God will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Verse 9 says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. The next phrase affirms that their righteousness endures forever and that their horn will be lifted high in honor. Now, if you look down at the footnote, you will notice that horn here symbolizes dignity. In other words, strong generosity is rewarded with a reputation of honor and of dignity. Now, to be generous implies that one has something to be generous with. Verse 3 talks about wealth and riches. No, this is not support for what is often called a health and wealth gospel. Wealth, of course, is relative and can be defined in different ways. And since verse 3 directly follows verse 2, imagine that, I think it's reasonable to tie the two together. For instance, through the years I've heard a lot of people say that they were poor economically as they were growing up, but rich in family life and a legacy of godly values. About 15 years ago, I happened onto a couple of verses in Proverbs that struck me so strongly that I, I had a plaque made of it and the plaque today hangs just outside my office door in, in my home. The two verses are from Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. And they read like this. By wisdom a house is built, 
and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Isn't that good? I, of course, think of children and hospitality and relationships. Each of us, and all of us, I dare say, are rich in something with which we could be generous. Time, talent, treasure, faith, wisdom, knowledge, experience. Sharing finances with those less fortunate is certainly an obvious and often needed expression of generosity. But if we think broadly, generosity is not limited to material things. If we reflect for a moment on the generosity of God in giving us His Son, His Son's life, to offer us the gift of eternal life, we should be spurred on to a life of service and giving to God in others. Strong injustice. Verse 5 of Psalm 112 says, Good will come to those who conduct their affairs with justice. I think I need not remind us, but I will, that the Word of God is full of references to obeying God's laws, precepts, commands, statutes, decrees. The nation we live in is a nation of laws. So we say, though, admittedly, we might be skeptical of that reality. Most of us, I'm guessing, pay our taxes with some degree of integrity and stop at stop signs with some degree of compliance, all of which, we must admit, is part of the modeling we do for those children who will be mighty in the land. But by now, I suppose I'm meddling about modeling. So we move on to strong in faith. Verses 4, 6, 7, and 8 of Psalm 112 all have references to strong faith and the need for strong faith to live a great and blessed life. Let me read at least phrases from some of them. Follow along, you follow. Verse 4, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. Verse 6, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Verse 7, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8, their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph upon their foes. Wow, is that great or what? You see, we who have a steadfast faith and trust in the great God of Psalm 112 can live in hope, security, 
and triumph of Psalm 112. No matter what happens in our lives and world, suffering, we can handle it when it comes. Even when we are broken, maybe especially when we are broken, our great, loving, merciful, powerful, sovereign God who wants a close and intimate relationship with every one of us is available to see us safely and triumphantly through anything that life throws at us. You know, there's a lot of junk going on in our world. Sickness. Terminal illness. Broken relationships. Wars. Corruption. Persecution. Death. Broken promises. Alcohol. Drug abuse. And so... Where do we turn? I'll bet you thought I forgot about the third truth to grasp. Not so. We're there. To review the first truth to grasp on that slide is that we have a strong, powerful, involved God. First truth to grasp. One who is interested in every detail of our lives. The second truth to grasp was that God wants for us a supernaturally changed life, which we can have to the degree that we trust God and give him control of our lives. The third truth to grasp is one that is easy to state, but admittedly more difficult to attain. That is, how to connect the truths of Psalm 111 with the truths of Psalm 112. This truth is stated in the two verses we've sort of ignored up to this point. The last verse of one Psalm 111 and the first verse of Psalm 112. Let's read them. Last verse of Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Pretty clear and understandable, don't you think? except maybe the expression, the fear of the Lord. No, it doesn't mean that we are to be afraid of God. A more accurate synonym that is often used is the word respect. But even that falls short. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, just to sit and think about or dwell on, is the first seven verses of Proverbs. It's just full of pregnant words, and they are full of meaning. Twenty of them, twenty of those words, to be exact. The last of the twenty is this phrase. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, 
but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Incidentally, that also covers Psalm 112, verse 10. 112, verse 10. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longing of the wicked will come to nothing. Isn't that a contrast with verse 10 of chapter 111? Totally opposite. So, what is the fear of the Lord? The most satisfying definition I have found, believe it or not, came out of an old dictionary. Here it is. To be in reverent awe of. To fear the Lord is to be in reverent awe of. I'm going to read the last verse of 111 and the first verse of 112 with that new definition in mind. Follow. Last verse of 111. To be in reverent awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who are in reverent awe of the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. So the connection, the third truth to grasp, grasp is how to connect 111 and 112. The connection is a reverent awe of our sovereign God. What you believe about God absolutely determines how you live. What you really believe about God absolutely determines how you live. Let's pray. Lord God, you are sovereign, you are powerful, you are awesome. And thank you so much for being involved in our lives. You look after every detail. And even when we don't understand, you do want us to have a supernaturally changed life so you give us lessons that are not always easy. But they are by your decree, by your will, based in your forever covenant in the relationship with us. I pray that your word will impact us this morning and bear fruit and endear you to us so that we may love you more, serve you more vigorously, if it, as it were, and to connect the truths of your word and you with the lives that you have given us on this earth. Thank you, Lord. In your name we ask it. Amen.